Our scripture today talks a lot about traditions, and I have to be honest, I'm a huge musical theater nerd, so I was thinking of like Fiddler on the Roof and Tevier and tradition. So uh, hopefully when I read that, you guys won't be hearing that song. But our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 15, and it will be verses 1 through 20. And I'd like you to invite you to go ahead and stand as we read God's word together. Hear God's word to us. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Sarah. You should not have brought up musical theater. You got that in my head now. This, uh, this isn't in the script, church, but you should know this. Last Sunday was the Tony Awards, and I... Uh, Man, it's probably, as, well, as James Corden said in the awards, the Super Bowl for people that don't like the Super Bowl. I was on my feet in my living room, just loving every second of it. So uh, anyway, now that you, know, you said that, I got all kinds of songs in my head as well. But good morning. My name is Tyler, and I'm one of the pastors uh, here at the downtown campus, and it is great to see you. And uh, this past week, I thought just, you know, I got to thinking about my dad a little bit, and it's uh, probably because I was trying to get a, a gift shipped off to Indiana in time for this weekend's Father's Day holiday. And so I was uh, thinking about what he would like and then got to thinking about all kinds of good memories and, and some tougher times. And then I remembered one unique family custom uh, that I'd love to share with you this morning. Here's what it was. So I used to get home from school before either of my parents. I was what they call maybe a latchkey kid, if you've heard of this. So I would get home, ride the bus back, walk on in, Man, plop in front of the TV and wait. Uh, and then mom would get home next. But when mom arrived, 
I wasn't supposed to say too much to her, right? This was a rule that we had in our family, and here's why, there was good reason. I know not every kid loves to talk about their day at school, uh, but I was a different kind of kid. I loved to talk about school and everything I'd learned and what had happened and who and how and all. I mean, there's like long monologues, right? And I see some of you nodding. You know me well enough, you're not surprised, right? So I loved to talk about school. And, and the thing was, my dad didn't want to miss any of the monologue, right? And he didn't want some kind of secondhand retelling, you know, like mom got the full version and now he gets the summary. So the agreement in our house was that sure, I'd get home first, then mom, but then we weren't supposed to say anything, we weren't supposed to dive into the monologue until dad got home, right? Now that's a lot of patience to expect out of like a middle schooler. So I would be waiting, just ready, ready to share, and then finally dad would come home, but here's what you gotta know about my dad. My dad's an electrician by training, he has HVAC certification, right? He's uh, been a landscaper as well. And so he's had a few different jobs over the past couple decades, but they were always jobs that put him in roles or with responsibilities that left him pretty dirty by the end of the day, right? So here I am, ready, ready to tell my story, just eagerly waiting. I hear the garage door go up, right? Dad's almost there. I, I mean, just ready to launch into the details of my day. But first, right, and here's what happened. Dad would go right into the laundry room, take off all his work clothes, and then run, and I mean run, into the shower, because the very first step is, you know, he just had to get washed after work. And there were a couple days, I can remember distinctly, I was so excited about what happened at school, I'd try to like stand in the foyer and maybe like shout to mom in the living room and dad in the you know, laundry room, is he there, mom sitting, you know, like just ready to tell this story. And I can remember my dad saying, hey, wait, wait, Tyler. I want to hear what it is that you have to say, but, but I've got to get clean first, right? I, I'd love to hear every detail and every part of your story of the day, but man, I'm dirty, right? I've got to go get in the shower. And that's how we think about dirt, isn't it, right? When we get, when we get dirty, things kind of stop, right? We come into contact with something that contaminates us, and then it's like, man, I, mean, I got to get clean fast. I'm not going to move forward until I take care of this problem. Whatever it is I've, I've come in contact with, right? I got to get clean. I, I'd love to do this. I'd love to do that, but I can't. I'm, I'm dirty. Because dirt or germs or filth or grime, we see them as something that has the potential to, to contaminate us, right? And so a lot of us, because we know that we can get contaminated by things out of the world and we're looking all around, I mean, we live in an era that is uh, so conscious about germs and dirt and disease. Probably many of you, I know I do, do any of you carry like hand sanitizer in a purse or a backpack, right? Or maybe you have Clorox wipes all over your home, right? Sitting in any place, always within reach so you can wipe something up, right? We understand that being dirty is something that, gosh, we got to address quickly, right? All things stop. We can't move forward until we do. And then it's worth being vigilant about dirt and cleaning it and being proactive and avoiding certain things, right? I mean, this idea of dirty, just think about the way we, we use the phrase. We speak of getting dirty, don't we? Dirty is something that's outside of us, right? It's something that exists out there. Maybe it's a, yeah, a gross pile or actual physical dirt or some kind of contaminant or germs, right? We speak of getting dirty as if it's something we receive or something that comes our way through, through contact or through touch. And so actually researchers of kind of dirtiness and the, the psychology of disgust, they call it, researchers look into all these feelings and thoughts that humans have about dirtiness and they tell us this, one of the most important tasks of a parent, of a young child, is to help that child uh, know what's dirty. 
Because we all know this, babies will put just about anything in their mouths, won't they? And so it's actually very beneficial early on to help a young child identify what in that external world they should touch and shouldn't touch and can eat and shouldn't eat and don't eat. Now we got to rinse your tongue off, right? I mean, there's all kinds of gross things in the world. And so a great step or a great task of parenthood is to help your kid determine what outside in the world is dirty, what can be touched, what shouldn't be touched, right? This is what researchers tell us. And I'm saying all this about dirt, and it probably sounds very familiar to you, right? I doubt anything I've said is new, uh, this idea that dirt is something that's outside of us and that we avoid things that are gross and unsafe, and should we come into contact with it, we wash quickly and, and try to get rid of it as, as soon as we get home. I'm telling you all kinds of things that you probably already know. Because we all kind of have these assumptions about what it means to be uh, dirty and what dirt is and what's gross out in the world, right? I tell you all these things you know, but here's where I think things can become problematic. What easily happens is that what we know about dirt and germs begins to affect what we think of our hearts, right? And we know many good things about dirt and germs. Again, hear me clearly. Washing your hands is great. My mom always said to sing happy birthday to make sure you do it long enough, right? This is, we have good knowledge about dirt and germs, and, and I'm glad that it exists in the world, and hygiene has done wonderful things for human flourishing around the globe, right? But all the things we know about dirt and germs, it can begin to affect what we think of our hearts. And this is something that Jesus wants to warn us about this morning. This morning, he wants to say that Gosh, when what we know about dirt and germs begins to affect what we think about human behavior, or what we think about human motivation, or what we think we have to do before we can have relationship with God, right? Jesus says, if all that we know about dirt and germs begins to affect those things, that's, that's a real problem. This morning, as we hear his teaching through the recorded words of Matthew, who was an, an eyewitness to his life, I think we hear Jesus saying, hand washing is great for external germs, but don't confuse hand washing with heart washing. Don't make the mistake of thinking that moral dirt, right, or moral evil is something that's either out there to be contaminated or avoided or something that can be washed away through some kind of ritual. No, 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 Jesus says. And he, he's shifting our perspective this morning. And it's a, it's a big shift in perspective because what we know about dirt and germs does not describe our hearts. Jesus teaches something different. And that's what we need to see together from Scripture this morning. So if you haven't already, uh, would you turn with me to Matthew 15? It's on page 820 of our community Bibles. Uh, Matthew 15, and we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. We've been spending the last six months working our way through Matthew's gospel, and last week we ended uh, by seeing really two great miracles from Jesus. We uh, read there in Matthew 14 this idea of Jesus feeding a large crowd by multiplying loaves and fish, right? Do you remember that? And then Jesus crosses the sea, and there's an episode of him walking on water, right? We covered that last week, and now he's made it to a place called Gennesaret. So that's where he and the disciples are now. And then the text says this morning, Matthew 15, 1, then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. They came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Don't let those two words pass by too quickly. You see, Jesus is now teaching and healing in Gennesaret, and these scribes and Pharisees, a big cohort of them, come up to him 
from Jerusalem. And you've got to understand, that is a long journey. If you're looking here on the map, Gennesaret is what's up there written in red, and Jerusalem is down here with the dotted box around it. This is a long, long journey. It's not some kind of trek that would be made frivolously or without folks deciding that it's really worth it to get there because this journey is 31 hours by foot, right? There's no Kansas City streetcar to get you there. There's not, not some kind of automobile. 31 hours by foot, which means it would have taken three or four days to get there if they walked like eight to 10 hours a day, right? This is a long, long journey to get there, which, which prompts me to ask, what would it take for you to walk 31 hours to see someone? What would it take for you to walk 31 hours to see someone? What kind of motivation would sustain that kind of journey? What kind of you know, occasion or, or things would have to be there when you arrive for you to make that kind of journey? What would it take for you to walk 31 hours to see someone? Because the text makes clear what motivated the Pharisees, what fueled their journey. We see it in the question they ask. And the question is this, verse 2. And they said to him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. That's right, you figured it out. Pharisees came 31 hours because they were concerned about the poor hygiene of Jesus and his disciples. Now, that's not at all why they're coming. This is a different kind of hand washing, okay? The Pharisees traveled 31 hours to see Jesus and his disciples because they were ignoring a religious custom around cleanliness. So I asked the question, what would it take for you to travel 31 hours, right? What kind of motivation would you have to have? And this morning I want to suggest that the Pharisees were motivated by disgust. They were disgusted because cleanliness laws that had been passed down were being violated and disgusted that crowds would flock to a leader like Jesus who himself and his disciples, they weren't adhering to these traditions about what it means to be clean and they could not believe that anyone could claim like Jesus claimed to speak on God's behalf with dirty hands, right? Not cleaned by this ritual. They were thoroughly and totally disgusted so they made a 31-hour journey to confront Jesus in Gennesaret. And they said, why do you and your disciples break the traditions that were passed down? Now, these traditions that were passed down, I want to be really clear. Uh, these traditions are traditions that we refer to kind of broadly as, as the halakha, right? And think of this as a bit of a history lesson. There was kind of an ancient Jewish history. We know that there's laws that God gave to Moses, and we can find those still in our Bible, right? There's maybe Deuteronomy, Leviticus, or books here. So there were these kind of rules and laws that came down from God to Moses, and those were laws that kind of governed the Jewish people, right? So there's that kind of law, but there's another law. And that's what these laws are, the halakha. These didn't come from God. These aren't divine in origin in any way. These are laws that were made by people for people to try to help them honor God. But these are, these are different laws, right? These are halakha laws. And so this rule, when they're saying you're violating the tradition of the elders, the Pharisees aren't charging Jesus and his disciples with violating any of God's law, right? They haven't done anything bad in God's eyes. They're saying you've broken one of these traditional halakha rules by not engaging in a ceremony called the ceremony of the washing of hands, right? And they can't believe that Jesus and his disciples would ignore that tradition. And so 
I wanted to explain or, or show you perhaps, maybe is a better word, how kind of this how a call law works, what's all involved in the custom. So that's why we have this morning this bowl and towel. Do you all wanna see a quick demonstration of this ceremony, the ceremony of the washing of hands that Jesus and his disciples ignored? Does that sound all right? Okay, let me demonstrate it for you. So uh, step one of this, well, first I should say, uh, this ceremony only needs to be performed if we're eating a meal with bread. So if we weren't having a meal with bread, say we're at kind of a, I don't know, what are the, a baked potato bar, those are reeling right now. If we're doing a baked potato bar, don't need to do the ceremony of washing of hands. But if we're having a meal with bread, that's why you have to do this ceremony, right? So let's get that out there. So ceremony for bread. Uh, then the other first step, I should say, of this ritual is that you, uh, you have to start it with clean hands. Even though it's a ceremony of washing hands, it's not a hygienic ceremony at all. It's kind of this uh, sacred, spiritualizing ceremony. So before you can clean your hands, you have to clean your hands. So I have some hand sanitizer here. I'm just gonna get real clean hands before I engage this and then wipe this off. So we've got step one, clean hands, all right? And now uh, this is the point in the ceremony where you would remove any rings if you had them, but seeing as it's Chernesky party of one, we can skip through that one. So ring-free, clean hands, we're all set. Now this is where the ceremony varies depending on person. So if you're uh, right-handed, you start by cleansing your right hand, and the way you do it, you hold it kind of with open fingers. It's very important that it's open fingers. You take a cup and you pour like a cup of water on one side, turn, get the other. You're supposed to get from wrist to fingertips, it said, okay? So you do one, then you do the other. So I'm doing my right hand a second time, sort of wrist to fingertips. Pour it through, keep your fingers open, right? So do one. Then you do your other, your non-dominant hand left, next. So for me, that's my left hand. Do that. One, the other side. And then if we were faithful Jewish people, we'd hold our hands chest height. It said and recite kind of the traditional Jewish blessing, right? So Baruch, Atah, Lodahim, it's a kind of a, a a thing that maybe you've heard before if you have Jewish friends. It's a very ceremonial blessing in prayer, right? So we'd hold our hands chest high and recite that. And then you're supposed to rub your hands together to dry them, right? No towel kind of taints the process, but I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit uh, and use a towel because I've already cheated already. The other thing is as soon as you would say the blessing, you're not supposed to have another word come out of your mouth until you have your first bite of bread. So that right there is the ceremony that motivates a 31-hour journey from the Pharisees and scribes in Jerusalem to confront Jesus and his disciples in Gennesaret. The fact that they've skipped this ritual that, again, wasn't part of the Old Testament law, but created and traditionally passed down, right? And I don't want to devalue the, the tradition at all. I'm just saying it's not God's law, right? This is a man-made tradition that comes down. They skipped the ritual, and then the Pharisees and scribes travel 31 hours to confront Jesus and his disciples about the fact that they didn't go through that procedure before they ate bread, all right? So they come all that way, they make that charge, and then how do you think Jesus feels at this point after that charge? I'm going to fill in a word here. I think Jesus is incredibly annoyed. I think he's thoroughly annoyed. He's astounded at the hypocrisy and self-righteousness of this group that would travel all the way to confront him on that kind of a charge, right? And here's why I think that. When you look back in the text, Jesus responds to their accusation with a question. He says, well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? 
Uh, don't miss that. Jesus just charged the religious leaders of his day, the people who were supposed to be the most faithful, the most in with God, the most righteous, and he says, you're breaking a commandment of God? You're violating God's law? And then he continues, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And God said, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now, I want to be clear here. Jesus, in these quotations, he's actually quoting this Old Testament law. He's quoting things that God has actually said, right? He's not citing the halakha. When he's saying, honor your father and mother, that principle is all throughout Scripture. That's a concept that is near and dear to God's heart, right? So Jesus is saying, you, God commanded these things. He said, honor your father and mother. But you say... If anyone tells his father or mother, well, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Now, this is hard for us to understand at first because we're not familiar with the in and out rules of the halakha, but Jesus and the Pharisees were. And I want to explain to you the law that Jesus is referencing here because I think once we wrap our heads around it, will share his disgust and outrage. Because you see, the Holocaust contained many rules. So it had rules about ceremonial hand-washing, like what we observe, but it also had rules about property and finance. And, and one of those rules was called the Korban Rule. And the Korban Rule said this, you could dedicate items or objects that you own to divine use um, by saying a special vow that said, may this only ever profit God, right? So this is a sacred vow you could take, let's say, I own a bunch of nice first century sound equipment through the Korban rule. I could go through a special series and say, may this only ever profit God. And when I do that, I could keep using my sound equipment or when I pass away, or if I'd ever try to sell my sound equipment, those proceeds would go to the temple. Right? That's how a Korban rule works. On the face of it, it seems very pious, doesn't it? Seems very righteous. May this only ever profit God, right? That's like, oh, good people would do that. But what Jesus is saying and what was happening at the time is that folks were using korban vows to get out of their obligation to care for their parents. Because in an era before 401ks or retirement or social security, or I mean, now there, there are other ways we think about caring for the elderly, but especially in this time, the primary way that folks were cared for in advanced age was by their children. And so the Pharisees were overseeing and enforcing Korban vows that folks made essentially to get out of their obligation to help their mom or their dad, right? Sorry, Dad, I'd love to, but I mean, I dedicated all this to God, so I really can't, right? I mean, that's what's functionally going on in the time. And so just catch the drama. The Pharisees travel 31 hours to confront Jesus about breaking one of these man-made rules, and he responds by saying, what? You think we're the dirty ones? Not at all. Through your rules and regulations and enforcing them, you're actually violating God's law and keeping folks and preventing folks and helping folks feel guiltless about abandoning their parents. Right? You don't even feel guilty because it's within your laws and within your structures, but you're allowing folks to escape something that God has said is right. Jesus flips their logic exactly back on them and said, dirty, we're dirty because we don't wash our hands. No, no, no. Look at what you do. Look at what comes out of your mouth. Look at the ways, I mean, and you've got to catch this. The Pharisees, 
There's so much self-interest going on there. They love when folks donate things through core bond vows because that means that whether they sell it soon or whether they get it when they pass away, that money's coming back to the temple, right? And the Pharisees live off the temple system. So just how gross is this? Jesus is saying, you're profiting off of your religious system. You're enriching yourselves and allowing others to abandon their parents. And you're so concerned that we don't wash our hands before we eat in a ceremonial way. And this is, this is high drama in the scriptures. Jesus is infuriated because religious rules were being invoked to support actions that stand clearly against God's teaching. And so Jesus, taking on these halakha rules, right, trying to get at the heart of these human traditions and show how futile and frustrating and all the different ways that they can stand against God, Jesus says this, and this is the punchline, hear and understand It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, that defiles a person, right? That discussion of the mouth there, what goes into the mouth, Jesus is saying, I mean, you spend all this time and effort. I mean, you saw how long that ritual takes to wash your hands, trying to get clean before you eat, trying to police what goes into your mouth, trying to avoid what's dirty and embrace what's clean and don't touch that, but do touch this, but am I eating bread or is it potatoes or did I take my ring off? So you spend all this effort policing what goes into your mouth and it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. Jesus is saying it's what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Something outside of a person. That's not where poor character comes from or or poor poor judgment or poor morality comes from. No, no, no. It's, it's, It's already inside. He continues in verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth just passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. What comes into your mouth? I kind of love this because Jesus uses bathroom humor in scripture, which is huge permission. Again, middle school Tyler, if I'm thinking earlier, I would have loved this if I would have caught it at that age. Jesus is saying, right, what goes into your mouth? You spend all your effort around that. It just passes right through. How do you think that has any bearing on your moral character? Something that's here today and you've got to eat again tomorrow, right? It doesn't stay. It doesn't last. What goes into the mouth, it passes through the stomach, and it's gone. That's not what defiles a person. What comes out of the heart, Jesus says, that's what shows that a person is unclean. Jesus confronts and overturns the logic and assumptions of the Pharisees. He undermines what they believe makes humans clean, right? The idea that you stick to the rules. He undermines that and says something different. He says that ceremonial hand washing and all these rituals and rules that have been passed down, they accomplish nothing, right? That's futile. That doesn't make anyone clean, Jesus says because it's all passing through the digestive system anyway. You spend so much time thinking about what's ceremonially appropriate, Jesus says, but that's not what taints you to the core. He says, you're looking for dirt in all the wrong places. You're looking outside of yourself and trying to get clean by managing things that are outside of yourself, right? You're identifying what's evil and unclean outside of you, and then you're trying to respond to it by doing something physical or doing something outside of yourself. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Dirtiness isn't something that you pick up. It's something that you leak out, right? Jesus says you don't get dirty, you are dirty. And please understand this statement. This is not a statement of kind of shame, like you're dirty, you're bad. No, no, no. I mean, Jesus, if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus never condemns. He makes that clear, right? The Son of Man did not come to condemn. This is just a statement of origin, 
right? Jesus is saying evil isn't something that you pick up out there that you avoid by not touching something, right? That, just hear it clear. It's a statement of origin. Evil is something that comes right out of who you are. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of your very own mouth that shows that you're broken and dirty to the core, right? Moral evilness, it's, it's not out there. It's inside. It's inside us all. And if you've been with us during our study of this gospel of Matthew, this should sound very familiar. This is, this is not a new concept. I mean, as we've made our way through this gospel, we spent a little time on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and and Gabe gave a great sermon. I don't know if you remember this, but it stuck with me. The heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart, right? Just this idea that, that underneath it all, when we get down to it, Jesus is saying, sure, maybe you haven't physically murdered anyone, right? Maybe you haven't cheated on a spouse and committed adultery. Maybe you haven't stolen anything, right? But your heart has intended those things. And Jesus teaches in that Sermon on the Mount, that should show us that down to our core, we're broken and flawed, right? Jesus says, you've, you've judged morality by all these external things and you've maintained certain principles and standards of conduct, but don't neglect the fact that you know what your inner thoughts are. You know what your heart is. And if we're all honest, man, at the heart of the matter, we've all got dirty hearts, right? I mean, we've seen this throughout Matthew's gospel. The problem with humanity is worse than the fact that we do bad stuff. It's that we've got bad stuff inside of us. And there's no ritual that can solve that. There's no external cleansing process that can clean the heart, right? Hand washing is not heart washing. None of us can wash, rinse, repeat, soap up, cycle, suds up our heart, right? I mean, none of the careful steps that I performed in this bowl, right, did anything to touch my sin-stained heart, even though that's what needs cleaning the most, according to Jesus. For he says, I mean, it's clear, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person. There it is again. We don't get dirty. We are dirty. And that dirtiness comes out defiling ourselves and hurting others. And, and I want you to hear this. That breaks God's heart. And the reason, again, that it breaks God's heart, I don't want you to hear that even in that shaming sense, like, oh, we're so bad and God's angry and heartbroken. No, no, no. It breaks God's heart because humans were made in God's image the design. I mean, you think of the closing of Genesis 1, this idea that male and female, he created them in the image of God, he created them, right? That's how kind of this whole creation story ends, as if to say that the stamp of God's own image on creation, right? The whole world comes to being, but then God stamps creation with his own image, human beings, right? This beautiful, uh, wonderful group of people that's to display what their maker is like through their goodness and their kindness and their faithfulness and gentleness to one another through their creativity, right? Human beings were made to image God, to show God's glory to others. I think that's why this breaks God's heart. Even here when Jesus is saying, your heart's dirty, I don't want you to hear him saying it as if he's accusing, you know, your heart's dirty and you're so bad. No, no, no. He's just wanting to say again, matter of origin, where it comes from. You're broken to the core and that's not how it's supposed to be. And I think sometimes we have kind of these hints of image of God laying, uh, floating around in us. We can see that. We can tell that humans are made to be great. And so we're very reluctant to say that humans are broken in their core, right? We know that human beings are wonderful beings, that every life is valuable, that, that it deserves to be defended and protected and honored and cherished, right? We know that about human life. So we can be reluctant to say what Jesus says, that knowing all that's true and that human beings are the image of God in creation, right? Beautiful, wonderful beings at the same time our hearts leak evil. 
Evil isn't something outside of us that we pick up. It's something that comes out of us. We're just deeply broken, and that breaks God's heart. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but it, but it is that way now. And so what do we do with the fact that our hearts are dirty and no amount of hand-washing can fix it? What do we do? Well, this is a tough answer, but I think it's true this morning. I think the answer is nothing. There's nothing we can do, and that, friends, is the point of this text. Jesus wants us to know that our hearts are dirty, and there's absolutely nothing we can do to wash them on our own. There's no ritual. There's no formula. There's no kind of, if you do these things in this order at this time, you can clean yourself. No, no, no. Jesus says our hearts are dirty, and there's nothing you can do on your own to clean them. And, and I've got to be honest with you, that's terribly frustrating to me. It's frustrating for two reasons. One, it's frustrating as a preacher because the first thing they will tell you in sermon school is that if you want folks to feel like they've heard a great sermon, you just give them a practical thing to do at the end. And I'll tell you from experience, sermons that end with that practical thing, they're like, oh, great job, great job. It's like, you just like it because you have something you can do this week, right? And that's great, and that's probably coming back next week. <laughs> but it's not in this text. There's no application written here in Matthew's gospel. There's nothing that says, because of this, so now do. And I think that's intentional. There's nothing we can do, and that's frustrating to me as a preacher because I would love to end with some grand application section, but it's even more frustrating to me as a person because I would love to know the way that I could clean my own heart. But I know that I can't, but that doesn't stop me from trying. And odds are it probably doesn't stop you from trying either. I mean, how many of us try to give our money to the right things, give our time to the right things, Read the right book, say the right words, don't say those words, but if I do say those words, then I pray for this long and I feel really bad about it and I listen to this song, but now I feel better because I did that thing. How many of us try to join the right volunteer organizations or even join the right church, right? There are so many ways that all of us seek through our own effort to clean our own hearts, and the fact is we can't. We can't. And those efforts, they're the same. It's just hand-washing, right? And hand-washing is not heart-washing. And I think just like the Pharisees, when we try to rely on these kind of rules, we can do the same thing they did. We can actually harm others. In their insistence on the korban rule and in the ways that they meticulously adhered to the law that existed, they actually wound up harming their own consciences and harming others. And I think we can do the same when we insist on rules that we've created and judge others that don't adhere to those rules, right? I mean, there are so many ways that this halakha law, this maintaining to traditions that have been passed down by people to generation to generation that we've created ourselves, there's ways that clinging so steadfastly to that is terribly destructive. Jesus says, you can't wash your own heart, and that's incredibly frustrating. And friends, that would be terrible, terrible news if there wasn't one who saw that problem from heaven. And instead of leaving people with their dirty hearts, if, if God just would have stayed there, but instead of, instead of just looking and seeing the problem, if he didn't decide to come and enter human flesh himself, right? that would be terrible news that we can't wash our own hearts if God himself hadn't taken on human flesh 
and lived a good life, a perfect life that none of us could ever live with a clean heart that none of us have. And then give that life sacrificially for our own good, right? letting his body be broken and his blood be shed for our cleanliness. Friends, it would be terrible news if all we knew was what Jesus says today, that our hearts are the source of our defilement and did not know that that same Jesus is one who would graciously give his life and allow his blood to be shed for our own cleansing. That's the great news this morning. That even though we can't clean ourselves, there is one who can and who wants to and who has through his blood shed on the cross. And that's how Paul is able to address a group of Christians in 1 Corinthians. And he lists all those bad things, a very similar list to what Jesus lists here in terms of the things that come out of their heart and defile you, right? So Paul says sexual immorality, murder, all these things. Some of you once were, but you have been washed and you've been sanctified is what he says in 1 Corinthians 6. This idea Jesus gave his life and through that life we can now be cleansed and washed. That's fantastic news and there's nothing we can do to make that washing happen on our own. Just a few moments as we come to the Lord's table, we're going to sing a, a song that is very dear to me. It's a, those like, you know, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this idea of the blood of Jesus having, uh, cleansing us, it's an idea that's, that's rooted in Scripture. But I, but I want to share this, just being sensitive uh, to kind of needs in this room. That, that blood of Jesus, a dear friend of mine, Amy, uh, who's a wonderful preacher, says this all the time, and I have to repeat this to myself. If the blood of Jesus doesn't cover everything, it covers nothing. And my fear is that some of us sitting here, knowing the evil in our hearts or knowing the evil that we've done, we'd be tempted to believe that, sure, 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 there's nothing we can do, I get that. And yes, 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 I know my heart is guilty, but man, Tyler, you don't know what I've done. And I quote this to myself all the time from me, hey, 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 the blood of Jesus doesn't cover everything, it covers nothing. So even as there's nothing you can do to clean your own heart, there's one whose blood can wash away any sin, and his name is Jesus. And the only thing that we have to do is trust him, place our full trust in the fact that his cleansing work goes deep all the way down to the dirtiest thing we've ever done and removes every stain. And I'd rather have a ritual to clean my own heart because that is hard to trust, but I believe that it's true. I believe that it's true. And so, friends, may we be the kind of people that don't try to wash our own messes through empty rituals and adhering to this, and if I just read this and do that, no, 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 we don't need that. May we resist that and instead choose to embrace just through trust, a Jesus who would give his own life to cleanse us and is able to clean us from the inside out and give us new hearts and clean hearts. May we be those kind of people and respond to that kind of God with incredible graciousness and gratefulness. Let's pray. Lord, I know how often I try to wash my own heart. Different actions, different rituals. It may not be hand washing, but Lord, I, I certainly try to remove my own stains and remove my own guilt. And Lord, I, I'm sorry for that. And we're sorry for that this morning. We ask that you would 
Forgive us for those futile efforts. Would you remind us and grow us and turn us into the kind of people that are able to trust your cleaning, that don't feel like we have to do some kind of extra work or extra effort to, to approach you, but trust your simple invitation that those who confess you and place their trust in you, that we're cleaned by you and then can have full fellowship with our Father in heaven, Lord. Can we be those kind of people? We need your help to do it. So we're asking in your powerful name, amen.